Welcome everyone to Sports Performance Radio. I'm your host, B. Chavez. This is episode five. And uh, to me, this is a pretty exciting episode. Um, Don't have an awful lot here in the preamble or, uh, quote, first segment to use radio talk. Um, Not a lot of uh, current events or news out there that I really feel compelled to cover. There's always something happening, but nothing that I think meets the criteria of this particular show. So, really, this uh, this intro is just going to be to introduce the coming guest, and that guest is a name and a face we've had before, that being Andrew Triana. And Andrew is going to talk to us today about long-term, 52-week long-term periodization. Um, specifically, he's going to be bringing us um, the design and outline of his personal coming year of training. It's very complex. It's very, uh, very highbrow. Probably not something everyone out there is going to need. Probably not something everyone out there is going to uh, really entirely digest. But I think it's very important that you guys hear this. I think it's very important that you begin to become familiar with this style and magnitude of training and tracking of your progress. Uh, so. Without without uh, really beating it to death, I'm not going to do it any justice. Andrew really does do it justice. So I'm really just going to get right into it, but I just want to let everyone know that this is a college course in long-term training strategy. So be ready. This is, this is it. This is the big time. So here we are, Andrew Triana, 52-week long-term training periodization. All right, ladies and gentlemen, as promised, we are on the phone with one of the real deals, one of the smart guys. You're going to listen to this guy either now or in the future because this guy is going to be the guy. So my suggestion is strap in, get a pencil and paper, and listen to what Andrew Triana has to say about big picture, long-term, 52-week periodization for strongmen. Keep in mind, this talk specifically is for high, high-level strongmen. So many of you out there may need to just cherry-pick some ideas, dumb it down a little bit. But at the end of the day, it's all about the knowledge. It's all about the nuts and bolts, and you're about to get it. Andrew, dazzle us. Thanks for having me on the show again, B. It really is an honor to be back on here and uh, with Evil Genius. So uh, everyone is familiar with block periodization. I'm really excited to talk about this. So I'm going to be talking about, like Broderick said, uh, the development of the macro cycle for strongman over 52 weeks. So this is a very special uh, program outline for me because I've kind of been thinking about developing a program like this for a long time. When you read a lot of Russian literature, the one- to three-year macro cycle is really like kind of the pinnacle of programming. So... Over the course of my three or four year strongman career thus far, I never engaged in a one to three year macro cycle just because various things were happening, uh, experience was happening. I wasn't uh, really ready for the macro cycle, but I was specifically syndicating uh, different peaking methods, different uh, loading protocols that I thought would fit very well into a 52 week macro cycle. So throughout my three or four years of competing and coaching, I've really been uh, consistently using three or four different methods and really trying to perfect them so that I can eventually uh, plot them properly into a longer-term macro cycle. So um, that's really the basis behind 
the methodologies I'm going to be using. Uh, Anatoly Bondarchuk, Yuri Verkoshansky, and other guys are obviously been large influences. So um, before we really get into anything, I have three tiers of uh, progression for most things. So that includes my movement prep, my resistance training, and my peaking methods. So uh, when I say tiered, I just want to quickly explain what I mean. So going from tier one to tier two or tier two to tier three means you're increasing complexity or difficulty of the protocol used, but you're not changing modalities. So that's really important uh, later on in the program when I like, mention things like aerobic one to aerobic two or alactic two to alactic three. So um, that's something to keep in mind. And the same thing with the peaking methods. You'll see I use tier two peak into a tier three peak. So um, just a heads up. So there's two mesocycles within this 52-week program uh, that include 11 microcycles of different lengths. So the just, first mesocycle... Drew, I just want to drop in real quick here. I sincerely yes. and deeply hope that all my listeners, especially, quote, my listeners, not that I want to <laughs> take ownership of them, but I sincerely hope my listeners are familiar with the language of periodization. But if you are not, stop what you're doing right now and just quick Wikipedia sports periodization and you'll get the overall picture and language of micro, meso, you know, transmutative, transitional cycles, rather than cover that now, uh, this talk is far too complex for that kind of simple language. But just in case you don't know what that is, quick Wikipedia, get a grasp on the outline of periodization so that this makes a little more sense to you. Go ahead, Andrew. Yeah. Sorry. No, absolutely. A basis in uh, block periodization or any type of periodization is essential to really understand what we're going to be talking about. Absolutely. So, um, like I said, there's going to be two mesocycles. Uh, the first is going to be the foundational, the second being the competitive, and together they comprise 11 microcycles of different lengths. So, um, the foundational mesocycle is going to have five of the 11, and it's really going to start uh, with the goal of improving the general organism. Uh, obviously, the whole program is going towards strongman. So even at the most general part of the program, the very first week of the foundational block, there's a very, 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 very small hint of specificity. And that's something that people need to understand, that it's a sliding scale of specificity. It's not clear-cut here or there. So whenever you're talking general specifics, think there's a sliding scale. There's always going to be a small amount of specificity just because of the bias of the person who writes the program. So, like I was saying, the foundational mesocycle brings the general organism into the general strongman organism. So, if you've been competing in strongman for a while, just by me saying that, I'm sure some things come to mind. Log, stones, yoke, um, very typical events that anyone needs to be proficient in to be a high-level strongman athlete. Uh, that uh, foundational mesocycle is going to have four microcycles with one transitional cycle. Uh, into the competitive phase, of course. So uh, then the competitive phase, or mesocycle, is going to start with that same general strongman organism and is going to ultimately lead to a very, very specific organism for the show that we're peaking for at the end. But uh, there are two shows that we're actually peaking for with two different types of tiers of peak. So it... Uh, in reality, it goes from general strongman into the first peak, which then leads into the second peak. 
So this is a more complex method of periodization. It's tough to blend two different peaks, and that is where I came up with the development of uh, different tiers of peaks to allow for either progression or, in this case, using two different peaks without really uh, uh, blowing your load on the first peak. That's really interesting stuff. Um, I don't know if you're aware of this, being as uh, as niche and quirkily educated as you are, you may know this, but uh, that's something Dr. Fred Hanfield talked about uh, extensively in the late 80s where he would do a diagnostic peak and then his actual contest peak. Mm-hmm. He would actually prepare for a lesser event three to six weeks before the actual event he wanted just to diagnose any unforeseen problems. And that's actually seen in a lot of amateur strongmen as well. A lot of people do warm-up shows. Which right, which is exactly the same thing, only just lesser be. language. Yes, of course. So these are things, like I said, this is very, very difficult to program. And I've read a lot of material, and it's I've written a lot of programs. It's it's still very difficult for me to properly blend two different peaks together. So that's why when people ask me about warm shows, I typically say no, actually, because if you're going to go out there and you're going to do a warm up show, but you don't really know how to peak, why to peak, or how big to peak, then you're really just risking messing up your next one. So that's a little tidbit there. But uh, so the competitive. Uh, Mesocycle has two microcycles, a transitory period, and then three microcycles. So I kind of just explained how that goes through. Uh, for Throughout the whole program, the movement prep and the resistance training or your main work, whatever you want to call it, are really what I call the show. That is going to be 85 to 90% of what determines the peak and what determines the adaptations you're trying to get. The movement prep, like I've talked about in other in the, my previous podcast, actually, is uh, injury prevention, work capacity development, and potentiation for the training session. And resistance training is obviously the meat and potatoes of your work of really what stimulus you're trying to drive home. Uh, the assistance work in all programming should really just be reflective of what you're trying to uh, elicit, and it should be the most specific to the individual. So that's why I'm not going to be talking too, too much about it uh, when I speak programming because that's essentially the last thing you program, and there's, you can't really do much foreseeing with it when you're talking into this type of... And boys and girls out there, that is the reason why you need an actual coach. What this man just said right there is so staggeringly important. General programming, general biology, fitness, physiology is the same across the board. You don't get to be special. You work exactly the same way as the guy sitting next to you. But specific conditions, your specific weaknesses, strengths, injury history, all of that means that what he just said, your assistance work needs to be very specific, not just to the event you're doing, but to the person you have become. That is why paid coaching is so incredibly relevant. It's not, well, I'll just listen to a couple of podcasts and become an expert. No, no, nay, nay, my friend. Pay attention. I'm sorry, Andrew. I just, that's, no. that's another pet bitch of mine. Everybody wants to be special, but then when the special moments come, they just wander around with their hands in their pockets. Yep. And uh, that actually leads me to my next point, because uh, the unique part about this program, especially for me, is that I did write the program for myself. And it's incredibly difficult to be your own coach. And uh, for that reason, 
on the nutritional aspect of my side, I brought in a coach to help me uh, so I can be more of an athlete and so I can uh, just follow a plan and allow myself to really dissociate from the coaching process, taking bias away. Uh, I actually hired Justin Harris, so he's great. Uh, he just opened up a site, musclementor.net. If anyone's looking to understand uh, performance-based nutrition and how to blend it into their training a little bit more, that's a great place to start. But uh, that's essentially all of the prior knowledge and material that everyone really needs to uh, have a grasp on before I talk about the real programming. So if you're ready, B, I'm about to get into the real fun stuff. Well, you've you've already probably sunk fifty percent of the listeners with a with a magnitude of material that needs uh needs a, a, a highlighter and a notebook to go back over. But uh, by all means, now begin, sir. Okay, so um, I'm basically just going to briefly go through every microcycle, uh, why, what's going on in it, what it's going to look like, and everyone's really going to get to see um the spice in my programming because. As uh, a coach, of course, I have all these methodologies and protocols and uh, strict instructional manuals on how I want things done. But as an athlete, I like to work really, really fucking hard. And you're going to see those kind of blend nicely together as I speak about the microcycles. And those two can often be at odds. Those two can very often be at odds. Yeah, that's why I uh, worded them the way I did because in reality, they kind of are opposite ends, but they need to meet together to create an extreme athlete. Absolutely. I'm excited. So, uh, I, have, I, have goose, I have goosebumps. This is, this, is, this is where my world begins. I love <laughs> the, the nooks and crannies of, of sports performance. I'm, so I'm excited. Even if the listening public isn't ready, I, I am. So, so give her hell. <laughs> so, of course, we're starting with the foundational mesocycle. The first microcycle is going to be four weeks and it's going to be an an aerobic hypertrophy foundation. So this is actually the block I'm currently in. I'm about to start my third week, and it's very simple. The movement prep is aerobic one. So in reality, I'm just doing uh, tempo work. I'm not running too, too much. It's under 2,000 meters per session, uh, and some body weight aerobic work, and very, very uh, simple things, but still building an aerobic base. Uh, all of my resistance training and aerobic work is essentially high-level bodybuilding stuff. I took everything I learned from John Meadows and Dave Tate and Justin and everyone else I've seen in the bodybuilding world and kind of blend it into my own thing. Uh, the really forte for this microcycle is that I'm training seven days a week for the full four weeks. Uh, the way I see it is because I'm not really stressing my central nervous system, especially because of what it's used to as an athlete and as an organism. And I'm developing such an aerobic base with proper nutrition and proper training, uh, or proper nutrition, rather. That's why I hired Justin. Uh, I should theoretically be able to recover well enough from session to session that I can handle seven days a week of volume without really beating myself up. Well, so that's what you're getting... telling me is, is, one, this is really kind of the – a much more complex version of the 1970s general physical preparedness type situation. And two, you're, you, when you say you can recover, that's because most of your recovery is really kind of glycotic and, 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 and carbohydrate storage based, yes? Absolutely. So that if you understand those underlying mechanisms of uh, what's fueling your training, then you can really hone into how to recover from your training. So, Excellent. yes. Excellent. So, I'm, 
this is the micro cycle everyone kind of fucking hates. Like, it's hard. It sucks. It's mentally grueling. You're training seven days a week, and it really forces you to take control of why you're training. You can't use too much stimulants because it's going to blow your load, and you can't really push it, like, overly hard any day of the week because you still have 28 days ahead of you. But you really allows you to get the most bang for your buck out of the aerobic work and hypertrophy work because I really do think it's a valid base, especially for strongman. So that would lead you into the next microcycle, which is also four weeks, aerobic power. I briefly spoke about this in the last podcast, but uh, so I'm going to be moving from aerobic one to aerobic two for the first part of the movement prep. And the last part of the movement prep, I work into the only lactic part of the entire program. Uh, I'm not going to get too much into lactic work, what it is, why, or how you feel about it, but uh, the nature of the sport and the nature of the work capacity for the sport kind of always puts us in what the lactic or glycolytic or carbohydrate-dependent phase is, so there really isn't much necessity to train it. Uh, The resistance training is going to be interesting. less... Interesting. Interesting. If, if I can just, just clarify. What, what you're really saying is because the nature of the sport falls within that range, there's no real need to abuse that range because everything you're doing is going to be, in quote, in there. Yeah, and I mean, when you think about it, you're even really peaking for that la- uh, lactic capacity anyway. And obviously, everyone who's listening knows that you can't train lactic work all year round. So the best way to do it is to almost never train it, and then you somehow meet in the middle and it works, but that's really the method. Interesting. Interesting. That's, that in itself probably is going to cause me to call you one evening and ask an awful lot of questions. But <laughs> for, for the sake of keeping this talk under nine hours, <laughs> by all means, we'll come back to that another day. No, that was one for me as well. I really had to try not to say too much because I can go on a rant. So... um. The first two weeks of the aerobic power, I'm going to be hitting, hitting between 45 and 55 reps in the 45 to 55 rep percent range uh, with very controlled rest time. And then in the final two weeks of the aerobic power, uh, it, they're what I call marathon sets. If anyone follows Ken Nowicki on any social media, he recently went through a protocol similar to this. So you're going to be somewhere in the 55 to 70% of your one rep max or training max, which is a big range, but uh, what you're doing is you're going to do one to two sets, very, very low set volume, but you're basically going for broke for either between 60 and 120 seconds. So you have rest in between the reps, but it really just demands the most out of you aerobically. But if you look at the previous uh, six weeks of training before that, with the loads you've been handling and uh, the amount of aerobic work you've already done, that should be a relatively feasible uh, protocol to get done. And it actually acts as a mini peaking system into the next microcycle, just uh, merely because you've been doing so much aerobic work that that protocol, just by completing it, you have now completed more reps than you theoretically could with the intensity you were using. So just by being that much stronger or more aerobically strong than you were previously, you're going to have a peak in strength. Does that make sense? It, it, it does, and it's almost as if this microcycle almost becomes the transmutative cycle into the next. 
Absolutely. Is kind of what I'm hearing, which is, which in and of itself is a little bit innovative and a little bit interesting, uh, and, and probably could get its own talk. So uh, it's, it's, uh, th- this is really turning into a, an unwieldy monster, uh, despite its simplicity. It's, it's kind of exciting. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, the, I think you're really going to like this next microcycle. So <laughs> this next microcycle is, in and of itself, even a transitory phase to the ultimate strength phase that I think you saw coming. So this one is going to last six weeks. I've actually never spoken publicly about this loading protocol. The only people that have been exposed to it are clients and uh, direct trainees with me. So this is kind of my model of tri-phase training. So there are three phases, but it's a little bit different. So the first phase, you actually use a constant tempo and you're only training in the middle 80% range of motion of the lift. Uh, that leads you into a four-second eccentric phase, ending with a three-second isometric phase. Uh, I don't use this, t- I say tri-phasic because I'm using three and the eccentric isometric into strength where it kind of is tail leads is, so I'll give it to them, that's fine. But um, I just want you guys to see where I'm coming with this, like the methodology behind it. I'm basically taking the aerobic base uh, you've already developed, and now I'm trying to develop a very, very, very sound motor pattern to pair with that aerobic base, which is going to be maintained and potentially moderately improved through body weight work in the movement prep. Again, I spoke about body weight work in the last podcast if you want to hear more about it, but uh, at this point, I'm cutting the running and I'm cutting the typical Prowler, uh, Charlie Francis style tempos I did for aerobic work prior. And now the aerobic work is going to come solely from body weight work. So it'll be Turkish get ups, calisthenics, and uh, some kettlebell work. Uh, that will be paired or alternatively contrasted with uh, elastic one. So very, very, very simple elastic uh, work. So this is going to comprise of extensive jumps, unilateral jumps, and very simple tosses. So uh, that's the movement prep for this triphasic block. And then the resistance training I kind of already spoke about. So the constant tempo in the 80% middle range of motion is to develop a control for um, load. This is going to really force the athlete to use their type 1 muscle fibers in a way they haven't been taxed yet. And then that's really going to potentiate using the type 2s even better in the next phase because you have to think about the athlete we're dealing with. Specifically me, but also strongmen as nature are going to be mostly type 2 dominant athletes. Using the word type 2 is an adjective, of course, not as its intended definition. So being more explosive, and especially me being a very fast and explosive-natured person, those qualities aren't going to deteriorate because they're really ingrained in my DNA. So by me right. improving really more, type Those are really more genetic traits. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, they're, they're selective traits, as I call them, more so than trained or acquired traits. I, I, that's my opinion. Absolutely. No, I agree. Cause I, I mean, everyone knows you can't change the amount of muscle fibers you have. So... You're born with the distribution you have. But um, that's six weeks. It's really going to potentiate you to use your type 2s better because now you have a large aerobic base. You're starting to develop some uh, higher training intensities, so you're 
even further potentiating the use of heavyweights. And now that you have extreme control over moderate loads, it really sets you up for a very, very nice strength block. Um, so this is going to be the fourth microcycle and final microcycle of the foundational mesocycle. Uh, the strength block is comprised of 12 weeks, actually. So really, uh, this whole mesocycle is building to just one massive accumulation of volume in a high intensity is really all it is. So this 12-week strength block, the movement prep, is going to be relatively simple. So on training days, there's only going to be four for the week. You're going to be doing elastic two work. So this is going to uh, start to include some low-level sprinting, some more moderate tossing and jumping, and uh, some stuff like that. And then on two, there's going to be two active recovery days, which will be periodized separately. And they're merely to maintain and very, very slowly improve this aerobic base. So it's a very simple loading protocol. You increase by one weeks one through three, deload the fourth week. On the fifth week, you start one rep higher than you started. And that'll cycle will repeat through the whole 12 weeks. Um, aerobic work and elastic work, like I said in the previous podcast, pair really nicely together. And I've just found that this protocol is uh, really the most sustainable to allow you to do a lot of strength work. Because uh, unlike the other microcycles, sorry. When you say a lot of strength work, what sort of volumes are we talking about? You know, like a, I mean, you know, total total number of, of working reps or working sets, or how would you define that? And what, just as a, as a baseline, now again, we're talking about you and relatively mm-hmm. high athletes and all of that, but just as a context for this conversation, what do you call that sort of load and volume? Where, where are we at? So we're going to be working, uh, the work sets for this training block will be from 77.5% to 87.5%. I have okay, found in my training. That's relatively high intensity. That definitely is above mm-hmm. a, quote, bodybuilding intensity, sure. So I've found that uh, 2.5% increments are the smallest yet most valid changes you can make and still find uh, differences, uh, noticeable differences in your training. So you'll notice that in my programming, I use 2.5% increments. I, I love that you said that. There's a very simple concept in, in science, in, in kind of almost the foundations of science, called the principle of the least noticeable difference. It's how little can you change a thing and still recognize that a change was made uh, and you, you just bend it. You just bend it. People, I see all the time people using these little goofy fractional plates and stuff. And yeah, it might work with the record book, but it's not physiologically valid. It, it's just mm-hmm. absolutely not. I've, I've argued that a hundred times. So no, that's I, a very I, valid point. I just really appreciate that you took the time to mention that as an actual piece of the protocol because it, it's it's relevant. There's there's only at some point when the lens gets down so fine, you can only measure changes at a given. Uh, quantum at a you know at a given point, and uh, I think that two and a half percent, maybe not the exact number I would use, but it's it's that you have a number makes it valid. So a- absolutely excellent. Thank you. And, uh, I just mentioned that because a lot of people ask me if uh, if my training intensities are random because I use weird numbers, but like you said, there is a rhyme or reason for it. But the take home for the strength block is that uh, you're going to be oh I'm sorry fifteen to twenty five or 15 to 30 reps, really, is going to be the rep range in that intensity range. So it's pretty high uh, comparatively what Prilipin would recommend. So um, 
the take-home for this is that the athlete or participant is going to be hitting a daily single that is going to be uh, higher in intensity every single day. So the way I set the way I set the athlete up for this is it starts with four weeks of regimented singles. I actually have to give Pat Davidson credit for this because he is the one that really introduced how to properly program uh, daily singles and really just properly be able to handle something like that in uh, training. He instilled this into a 30-team or 30-member team at Springfield College known as Team Iron Sports, and we did it for a full year. And it was a, a truly a life-changing experience through training. So um just wanted to give him a quick shout-out for that. So four weeks of regimented singles in under four sets. So I programmed this specifically. So it's going to start at 85%, then over the four weeks, I slowly play with the volume of the warm-ups and the final single to get the athlete to 87.5%. From this point on, the next, uh, what is it, nine weeks or so? Yeah, nine weeks? Eight weeks. Eight weeks, uh, the single is still under four sets, but now I allow the athlete to use an RPE system. So the RPE system isn't placed on the weight they're hitting. It's placed on how they feel. So within those four sets, I determine a minimum with the athlete. So this requires, when I'm working with an athlete, a lot of communication, and a lot, I have to really be comfortable and know the person for this to work. So for this reason, we're talking about me in the program, so there isn't really much need to talk about that. So uh, you have a minimum that you determine, which is typically about 90%, and you go at the minimum on your third set typically, and the fourth set is kind of your gimmick for the day. So if you're feeling pretty good, you can go 5 to 15 pounds above it, uh, obviously do not PR, and uh, if you're not feeling good, that third set, which is your minimum, acts as a buffer. So you can just say, screw it, I'm done on my third set, and I'm just going to get to my work sets and just get it done there. So um, like all RPE systems, I'm not going to go into the programming of them. If you want to look into them, Mark Watts has a great presentation on Elite FTS on uh, a very good introduction slash intermediate uh, level of RPE programming, how to do it properly, why, etc. But uh, essentially, uh, the work sets for the day are based off of the minimum or the fourth set that the athlete hits. So that is how uh, I can account for higher volumes at what are higher intensities as well. Does that make sense? It, it, it really does. And uh, I, I really really working hard to not interject at every every moment because I, I'm really excited and I really love what you're saying. But uh, probably the, the biggest take-home from everything you just said is just something you said kind of offhandedly. You just said, and obviously not PRing. Folks, li- listeners, please write that down, highlight it, draw a circle around it, bunch of arrows, okay? That's that's the purpose of programming is to do what you're supposed to do, not necessarily what you can do. So that simple little offhanded remark makes the entire hour you listen to this just pay dividends over and over and over. Follow your – have good programming, yes, but even more importantly than having good program is actually having the constitution to follow it. Huge, huge little nugget right there. So, Yeah, that's why everyone struggles so much with nutrition because more than anything else – 
nutritional success is based on compliancy. If you go in the gym and do something, you're eliciting some type of positive stimulus to your brain to make a positive adaptation. With nutrition, if you go out there and eat McDonald's for two of your meals of the day and the other three are clean, I mean, you're really not doing anything. So um, compliancy is the key to success. Monotony is as well. Um, so that brings us 27 weeks into the program because uh, that strength phase, like I said, was 12. The 28th week is a transition into the competitive mesocycle. So um, the competitive mesocycle is simpler and at the same time more complex. It's simpler in the fact of what we're doing is very monotonous. There is an accumulation, a peak, a transition, an alarm, an accumulation, and a peak. So very, very simple. It sounds, as sounds suspiciously like Dr. Cyril's general adaptation syndrome. If you if you'll allow my biology pedigree to peek through, um, that that just uh, like like rockets and flares just went off. I'm just like, what? What biology's happening? This is exciting. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Uh, autonomics really, reading about autonomics, understanding them, really changed how I view and program today. So if anyone's looking to see where I get my spice from, go read into uh, some autonomics. Why zebras don't get ulcers is a good place to start. Um, so the tier two accumulation uh, is the next microcycle, but I actually want to talk about the tier two peak first because the tier two accumulation is really just basically the interim to get you ready for the Tier 2 peak. And the same with the Tier 3 accumulation and the Tier 3 peak. So the Tier 2 peak is cluster sets with past action potentiation in your resistance training. And these come in four training sessions, and they're contrasted. So there's, I guess you would call it a lighter day and a heavier day. The lighter days go from 60% to 55% to 50%. And you can imagine that the heavier day is going to go from 80 to 85 to 90. So that's what I mean by them being contrasted. Uh, so the way the protocol itself is set up is you are going to be doing, obviously, a cluster set at the given percentage. So whether it be a set of a double, a single, single, or a single, 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 to four reps, whatever it may be. Um, it's paired with a past action potentiation move, which I hope everyone's familiar with at this point, uh, so I don't have to go too deep into it. But um, there is about 20 to 30 seconds rest between the two, and the volume maintains uh, is relatively low. So regardless of the intensity, I'm only going to program somewhere between three and five sets. Uh, the, that is essentially why Tier 2 peak is Tier 2 peak because although it's a great training stimulus and it elicits a valid peak, which I, it's actually personally my favorite peak for this reason, it's not incredibly taxing or hard to recover from. Uh, the Tier 3 peak I'll talk about later is very, very large, and I've only done it once in my life, and it is almost fucking impossible to start training the week after because of how hard you actually peak. So the Tier 2 peak, it being lower in volume is really saving grace to allow me and any other athletes to transition from what would be a qualification show in Strongman. Like, let's say you uh, win your nationals and you get an Arnold invite. The Arnold would be your Tier 3 peak, and the nationals would be your Tier 2 peak. Solid. That's, that seems completely fair. Okay. Okay. Cool. So that's what the Tier 2 peak is. 
Uh, so now let's go into the tier two accumulation really quick. So like I said, you can, this is really just the interim, getting ready for the peak. So the, I'm going to introduce the alactic, uh, capacity again here, but I'm specifically going to be focusing on the repeatability aspect of the alactic capacity, and that's what's going to prepare the athlete for the clusters and the past action potentiation sets. So you're, you're uh, saying it's, this is really the accumulation of alactic uh, sustainability. Yes, in this case, absolutely. Okay. Uh, and then that, that's a that different also, way of looking at it. Most people would would frame it in other contexts, but it's it's the ability to repetitively do work within that range. Excellent. Absolutely, because if you think about it, your qualification show shouldn't be as Oh, this crude word, but difficult as your bigger show. So if, as a strongman athlete, when you're going into this less qualified show, uh, in reference to your capabilities, it's going to be a different ball game for you. You're going to be doing reps, you're going to be going fast, and you're going to be having to smoke every event. And that, although it's a lactic, it is different. So that's why for the Tier 2 peak, I specifically focus in on the repeatability aspect of the elect capacity because I believe it has a much, much higher transfer to the type of competition you're going to be participating in, but it also really allows me to nicely blend the same energy system, elect capacity for the whole competitive mesocycle, but they're different at the same time between Tier 2 and Tier 3 because of this aspect. So and this in reality, is really in huge. reality, in the, in the really fine print in between the cracks that you're not saying, you're actually exploiting competitive specificity. Yes, absolutely. Which, which again, is extraordinarily relevant, yet for some reason, well, actually, for, for kind of obvious reasons, it falls through the cracks and people miss it. People just think, ooh, strongman, I get ready, quote, this way. And this way could be vastly different depending on like you said, the speed of the events, the weight of the events, your preparedness for the events. So I, I'm really, um, I'm really excited that you, you know, acknowledge that and 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 actually find a way to program that into the wording, almost without doing it, almost without without saying that's what you're doing. That that's really I, I love that. Thank you, thank you. And then um, for the resistance training for the tier two accumulation, uh, the reps are going to be between. Uh, 20 to 35 in the 72 to 77.5% rep range, uh, intensity range. And the only reason the reps aren't extremely higher is A, because obviously there's a sustainability aspect, but B, uh, this, I use different loading protocols for this rep range. So, uh, previously I may have used, uh, in the strength block for the same percentage, something that's lower rep and higher set with more rest. And that obviously is going to give a different stimulus than in this case where it would be a controlled rest, not short, but controlled, and more reps per set, and even a couple max rep sets. So obviously that's just going to give a different stimulus, more taxing, you can't handle the same volume, but uh, that explains the differences in reps right there. So after the Tier 2 peak, uh, we transition into the final three microcycles of the entire program. So this really is the most exciting part because up until now, 
all 37 weeks of work have been towards one goal. And you're finally starting in this next microcycle on week 38 to actually chip away at your final goal. So uh, that thir- weeks 38 and through 40 will be a two-week alarm phase, like I said earlier. And this is really just going to be essentially the first two weeks of the very, very, very first block I talked about. And uh, that is to for a couple of reasons. The first one being you just competed, you did peak, and you have about 10 to 12 weeks to really prep again. Now, you don't need the same 10 or 12 weeks of super, super, super intense prep because of the previous adaptation you made and because of the way the programs are blended. So that kind of gives you two weeks to play with. And in the game of strongman, if you're healthy, you're usually better off. So um, that phase, I guess, would have the most health-promoting benefits or adaptations, if you will. So that really fits perfectly into not only that transitory alarm phase, but in the true definition of what an alarm phase is as well. So I just think that fits perfectly because programming really is just a puzzle. It's how well you can blend certain things to get point A to point B. And I would I would also point out that that's the point in your training. And and well, you 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 personally, Andrew, are obviously very aware of this, even if you didn't say it out loud. Uh, but to the listeners, that period is where you're very immunosusceptible. That's the the post contest cold, the post contest mm-hmm. infection. That you you've tasked yourself to such a degree that things other than your training now become susceptible, i.e. Your, your your overall health. So having a, I don't want to say downturn, but having a, a, a window that is less taxing and allows your body to actually restore even more than just physiologically recover, but literally restore is, is a very wise training protocol and, 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 and something that I don't think people think of until they're sitting home with, you know, strep throat or bronchitis and they're like, why, why did this happen? And I did everything right, and the truth is they did do everything right except wait for that window to close. Yep. Recovery is, I mean, everyone has it as an athlete. Everyone overlooks recovery from time to time because it's not the exciting part. But like I said just now, in strongman and honestly any other sport, if you're healthy, you're in a much better position to perform well. I mean, if you can't perform to your potential because you have a torn bicep or because you have strep throat or because you lost 10 pounds from the stomach virus, it doesn't matter that I'm not as good as you. I'm still going to beat you because you're performing at 70% because you're sick, and I'm performing Absolutely. at 100%. Absolutely. Absolutely. Beyond beyond question. But the fact that that actually falls into the protocol is, is, is just really is, it's really wise. It's just really well thought out. Um, even if you didn't necessarily plan it for that reason, that's just a very wise precaution. Uh, provided, and I'm sure you're about to tell me about this, provided you can, again, upturn it you know, to that final, final peaking, you know, few weeks. Absolutely. So um, just so that everyone is in the same page, this puts us, in, after the completion of the alarm phase, that puts us at week 41 out of 52. So you are now um, 11 weeks out, and you have two microcycles left, your accumulation and your peak for tier 3. So this is the fun stuff, like I've been saying the whole time. So this is where, for the movement prep for the Tier 3 accumulation, I introduce Alactic 3, which is the final tier of Alactic uh, progressions I have. 
and that includes your highest intensity jumps, tosses. Um, alactic 3 only works in athletes who already have a large alactic capacity. So this, the reason Tier 3 is Tier 3 isn't because of the difficulty of the peak or the protocols in the peak. It's the level the athlete has to be at to properly do the peak. Um, I'll give it away right now. I basically took my uh, Tier 3 peak. It's essentially the shock method with some strongman spices from Yuri Verkoshansky. If you've ever read his shock method uh, peaking essay or super training, uh, you're very familiar with it, but I'll talk about it in a little bit. But um, So this Alactic 3 is what's setting the even already great Alactic capacity up for the peak. So um, at this point in time, I begin to program movement prep and resistance training or your main work on totally different paths. So up until this point, they were intertwined and movement prep was really meant to uh, complement it, but at this point, they're going to be on separate peaking schedules, and this is going to allow for an even greater peak as far as organism goes. Interesting, you actually separate the energy cycles to divergent peaks. Yes. Wow, that is something I've heard of, but but boy, is it uncommon, and boy, is it... uh, I, I mean, I'm interested to hear you word it, because the few versions of that I've seen took up nine chalkboards and had 40 arrows swirling around pointing back at themselves like some sort of, you know, Star Trek time loop. So I'm, I'm, really, I'm really curious to hear how you explain this to me and the listeners in, in, a, in, in a vernacular that, that makes some sort of sense. Yeah, of course. So um, I'll actually explain more of the blending and that after I talk about the resistance training. So okay. really quickly, the resistance training for Tier 3 accumulation is actually going to mirror the sets and reps from the strength block previously. So it's going to be 77.5% to 87.5%. Uh, it's just not going to be as taxing, and there will not be the daily singles. In the Tier 3 accumulation, uh, the resistance training actually almost takes a mild backseat to the movement prep, specifically because of the way Tier 3 peak is uh, programmed. Um the resistance training is merely to get a high-level strength-based stimulus at a high percent with a moderate amount of load. Uh, rest is un- not uncontrolled, but at this point, you're in good enough shape that you can basically rest two to three minutes and be fine for most sets. Um, but really, uh, oh, also I didn't mention, uh, the work sets in this Tier 3 accumulation do have a past action potentiation movement paired with it. Uh, it's not as intense as it was in the cluster sets. Uh, again, it's merely to set up uh, the shock method peak in the next phase. But um, So what's going on in the movement prep for this accumulation is that I am building the alactic capacity linearly as much as I can through these uh, six weeks, week 41 through 47. So uh, that brings us into the uh, tier three. When you say building it, uh, just to be super, super clear to listeners, do you mean building it in intensity or in volume and duration? Oh, excuse me. Sorry. So uh, when I talk about Alactic 3 specifically, the intensity at this point is already high. So I should have given you an example of the movements. So, for example, uh, Tier 3 peak movements for me include depth jump, 
double broad jump chest pass with a medicine ball. So um, if you check my Instagram, you can find it, but it's exactly what it is, a double broad jump. And on the second broad jump, you release the medicine ball for max horizontal distance from your chest. Um, I also have... Plyometrics 101, sure, absolutely. Yeah, yeah so that, I, that those two alone should start to paint the picture of the intensity that's going on a lactic three. So for that reason, um, I don't push the intensity any further in this accumulation. Uh, once you hit those, I just build volume very, very slowly, whether it be one to two reps per week or however it may be. I just build that volume very slowly because we also have to remember as great and effective, I, no one loves plyos more than I do, but trust me, my nickname is the Lucian Frog. Um, we are still strongman athletes and we're still pretty big and because of the supplements that you're going to be using, you're going to be producing a lot of force. So that those reasons are basically why I'm not increasing intensity anymore than they need to be because there doesn't need to be that risk to get the reward you want from plyometrics. That's why I'm building the volume vertically through these six weeks. You know, what you just said probably demands its own talk on a separate day, but that is something that I've had issue with the West Side guys and with so many different groups, and it's simply what you said. As masses go up, physics demand that the tolerance tolerances, the, the shear forces, the impact forces go up so radically that the curve is not in any way, the, the curve is incredibly parabolic. You know, as your body Absolutely. weight goes up, th- those forces go up so high that this stuff becomes very unsustainable really quickly. Literally the difference between week one and week three can be the we- difference between eliciting response and eliciting a trip to the emergency room. Absolutely. That's really where the beauty of programming comes in because it's very difficult to do a 52-week macro cycle for that reason. If you push it one – like, that's why I said don't PR in the strength phase. If you push it too, too hard for one week, you fucked everything up. And, if I mean, I don't know about you, but if you're okay with having a training PR over a title in your hands, like, you can do that. That's fine. But, um – yeah, that what we what I was just saying about the plyos and being big and strong is really a beautiful blending of physics and kinesiology. Newton's second law is really simple: force equals mass times acceleration. If mass goes up and acceleration stays the same, your force is getting bigger. And if you know anything about kinesiology, forces act in vectors on joints. And if you just have more on a joint and that joint isn't getting stronger for the supplement reason, then you might have a problem. Not, not might. You, you do. You ultimately do. Yeah, you Even definitely you will, every, actually. That's, that's the other thing that I really try to get through knucklehead, you know, quote, strength athletes. And I, I mean no disrespect, but, I mean, most strength athletes are not you and I. They're not, they're not book geeks. They're athletes. They're out doing their thing. Mm-hmm. And, and, and in a very simple context, is what, you, what really people fail to realize is biology is alive and dynamic. Even if you do everything right, you still face these consequences, just not catastrophically. Yeah. I, you know, that little tidbit to me right there is something that I really try to get through everybody's head. Is you know, Even if you do everything right, you still put undue stresses on your patella tendon and what have you. And those stresses accumulate. And even if you're doing everything right, you will meet the point of catastrophic failure unless your programming is as intelligent as, say, the one you're outlining. <laughs> But even then, there's no guarantees. 
everyone signs a contract the first day they step into the gym and commit to the sport that you're going to get hurt at one point. The only thing you can do is when you get hurt, say, fuck, how long is this going to take until I can get back into doing what I'm doing? That's all you can do. So, um, finally, this leads us into the Tier 3 peak. I'm going to start with the resistance training because everyone knows how excited I am about the movement prep. Um, so, these lifts are going to be the lifts themselves are actually going to be simple. They're going to be simple reps, no clusters here, just singles, doubles, triples, whatever what may have you, in the 85 to 95% range. Uh, at this now, point, when you say a, 85 to 95, you're specifically talking about your abilities or the contest lifts, the posted oh, uh, predicted sorry. contest uh, events? So this is this could be another podcast in of itself. Um, event in my resistance training programs, events and your like gym work, for lack of a better term, are programmed separately again. So uh, I won't go into that too much. But in the case of the event, it depends on the event and your goal. So for example, if let's say it's log clean press away, and ideally you think you can get ten reps to win it, I will be using a percentage of your one rep max to program to get you to that ten rep peak versus the contest weight. Now, let's say you're in a little over your head and you have that same log clean press away, but hell, you're lucky to get fucking two. So, in that scenario, I would use the contest weight as that athlete's training max. Does that make sense? It, it does. It does. And again, it's, it's, it really, you know, it, to, to a degree, you're almost talking in circles. I mean, no, no disrespect, but literally, it just comes down to specificity, which is the whole point of periodization to begin with. Absolutely, on that sliding scale. And the sliding scale only moves in one direction in this macro cycle. You're only getting more specific as you go. So um, as a coach, you really have to have a good relationship and really a good repertoire with the athlete. Like, you can't put someone on a 52-week macro cycle right off the bat. That's why I said I waited four years to even attempt one. So that should really speak volumes for people as far as humbleness. Not not um, something you find in a, in abundance, but yes, I agree with you. So um, those lifts are going to be in the eighty-five to ninety-five percent range. Then there is going to be a strict ninety-second rest time that will lead you into another max effort plyo and or toss, whatever it may be, um, paired with that move specifically for the protocol. And this, the reason that this um, peak is the peak it is, is not only because of the like forces that you're going to be producing uh, per set, but because of the 90 seconds rest and because this is your last peak, this is really where volitional will is going to come into play more than any other part in the program. Any other part in the program, I actually try to inhibit volition and motivation into your training to avoid it. But at this point, this is where, I mean, the grit comes into play. So I'm going to push the volume hard here. This is my last four weeks of training for whatever show it may be. So this is where um, the peak is really made. So we're going to be looking at somewhere between the very minimum five and even upwards of like eight to ten sets for this uh, resistance training protocol. And obviously the assistance work will just reflect the athlete. Um, so here, uh, the movement prep is really going to be a little more complex than everywhere else. So, uh, we're built, so weeks 41 through 47, we were building a lactic three 
and using the recovery protocols from the strength block uh, as far as increase one leaf, D-low, and fourth. And then on the Tier 3 peak for the movement prep, we are now just maintaining the aerobic recovery uh, adaptation. So the reps aren't changing there, but uh, the volume for the Alactic 3 is going to peak on the 51st week. 52 week, or week 52 would be the week of the show. So the peak for the alactic volume is going to be in uh, volume, but the, the peak in the alactic 3 modality will be in volume, but intensity as well. So the only inc- increase in intensity is very slight here. So, for example, if I was using a depth jump in the accumulation, I'll add an inch or two to the depth jump. If I was doing tosses, I'll add two and a half to five pounds to the tosses. Very, very incremental. But at this point, the athlete should have developed enough um, ALAC capacity that the increase in intensity for the specific strongman athlete should actually yield a higher force output. So that's beside the point. I've developed a question, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold it off because I think you have a little more to tell me. So continue, and then I'll, if need be, I'll come back. But I, I have a oh, no. I have a question that's that's that's, that's making me do a dance. <laughs> I was just uh, going to finish with so that piece on the 51st week, and the reason I do that is because uh, aerobic adaptations and peak elastic adaptations can be maintained relatively easily. And what I mean by relatively easily means it's actually not that easy, but it's not that much volume, so as much as it fucking sucks to do, it's very doable to maintain those adaptations. So from this point on, after the athlete peaks their alactic uh, capacity on week 51, week 52 is going to have intermittent sessions of aerobic work and alactic work to maintain this peak. So uh, what I mean is, you go into uh, a field, whatever it may be, for 30 to 45 minutes. You do a couple of tempos. You potentiate uh, in your warm-up. And then you do a – your resistance training is going to be very, very high-intensity plyometrics with low volume, and then you leave. So that's how I continue the potentiation of the alactic capacity after peaking it on week 51. But the reason I want to peak it one week early is to really just allow myself, the participant, whoever it may be, to push the final week of resistance training a little bit more. Not only is it super taxing, and uh, that all obviously helps elicit a larger super compensated peak, but it's not something I can maintain. Like I said, with the alactic capacity stuff, it's very easy and it honestly feels great, even though it's not that much fun, uh, to do those intermittent sessions. But you can't do those with resistance training necessarily. So that gives me a little bit of room to push a little bit harder and then completely cut the resistance training. So the week of, um, let's say the competition is on a Saturday, your last training session will be the previous Saturday. And then that week of you're going to be doing uh, your intermittent alactic aerobic works and uh, some mobilization and kettlebell work, but essentially that's where the program ends. Well, you 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 actually answered ish my my question my thought my is that what you were what I was originally hearing sounded as if it flew very much in the face of the late seventies early eighties idea of 
tapering to allow or facilitate that physiological supercompensation event. Um, but it, it sounds like you're doing that, but just in a, I don't say diminished capacity, but you're certainly not tapering as much as, like I said, the late 70s, early 80s model. But you did definitely say that you, you tapered or, or even terminated the uh, actual strength training, your, 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 your muscular component to allow for recovery and just maintain that lactic, alactic kind of aerobic fitness. Absolutely. Because okay. Right. Do you do you see now? Not be in in no way, in absolutely no way. Am I the expert on energy systems and and actual physical fitness that you are? Um, I have a grasp on it, but by no means do I grit, get the molecular level that you do. So I'm asking this in a genuine question format. Is that more transi- transitory? Is it harder to maintain without training? Than resistance training or strength will strength will maintain literally months with no additional work. Is that fitness window much close much quicker? Yes, the aerobic capacity or your aerobic adaptation, especially if it's in peak, can diminish in as much as like three to five days without uh, usage. So that's why uh, I'm so extremely uh, pushy with aerobic work. Because everyone knows the benefits as much as people like to, like, downplay them. There are some very, very, very valid performance-based benefits for the aerobic capacity. Um, but if it diminishes so quickly, I just don't understand why you would neglect it. I don't know. I think because I already knew that fact previously, it's uh, it's something I would always do. But, yeah, so a lot of people don't know that. In three to five days, your aerobic capacity can diminish and, and – uh, your alactic capacity as far as plyometrics, this is all anecdotal because I haven't personally read anything on it, but I found uh, diminish just about as quickly as the aerobic adaptation. So I, I specifically mean like your ability to produce maximum force, and uh, that is why I pair the aerobic work and the alactic work in intermittent sessions throughout the week leading up to the show. And... um now, this, kind of going back to your question. Sorry. This, oh, no, go ahead, go ahead, continue. I, well, I, I was going to say, going back to your question about, like, the tapering and cutting um, of the resistance training, everyone who is familiar with my training understands that I'm a very, very big promoter of training under high amounts of residual fatigue. So although there are transition periods throughout the program where one to two qualities are deloaded of controllable traits, um, there really is a high level of residual fatigue the whole time. And especially when you start to include the volitional component that I was talking about in this last microcycle. So when you're, even though you're one week out and you're not going to be doing almost any resistance training, you, that last session, you should feel like ground up dog shit. So that one week of recovery is actually valid or needed rather for the amount of fatigue you're under. Because in my tier one peak, uh, you don't get that much time off. You get four days, or three or four days off, depending on who you are, but uh, you just don't need it. Does that make sense? Like we said earlier about recovery and energy pathways, if you're giving yourself the fuel you need to recover from, then you're going to recover. So you have to recognize 
the deficit of fatigue or the deficit of energy, whatever it may be, and properly uh, program the right amount of recovery for that deficit. Agreed. Agreed. That's um, just just that little concept on you know on on how quickly systems diminish is probably worth the weight of this entire talk. That that's huge, and and that all already starts my head spinning and. Like that, um, especially with the like the uh, compensatory acceleration uh, plyometric aspect, probably explains the seemingly baffling action of world class Olympic lifters, you know, doing hundred, hundred and ten percent squats and front squats, literally the day of and day before international events, is because mm-hmm. what you're saying is that's a very transitory physiological trait that they cannot bear to lose. Absolutely. And now think about how much further you can even push uh, a sports-specific capacity over a three-year macro cycle. So now that is why they can do such amazing things because their elastic capacity is so mind-boggling fucking efficient. They have so much ATP synthase. Like, it's honestly probably, like, insurmountable to even wrap your head around. But that's really the same underlying themes of what I'm doing just on a much, much, much smaller scale. They're just potentiating their adaptation to peak even harder at a very specific time. I, I, I get it. I follow. And that that is absolutely fascinating. And it, it's not entirely different than and anyone that hasn't needs to go back and listen to your talk uh, on on energy systems. It's very much the same manner of thinking. You're You're approaching this from uh, kind of deconstructing the physiology and you were programming each individual pathway through all their many routes to come together at this one day, literally this one day, not even a week, but day, this Saturday you've outlined. You're, you're, you're pushing every avenue to culminate on that specific Saturday a year from now. And it is kind of the unwieldy beast that takes up multiple chalkboards, but yet you, you put it into relatively elegant simplistic terms that um, make, makes it understandable. It's fascinating. Thank you. I really appreciate that. And if anyone has questions or is looking to reach out to me in any way, feel free to. Uh, you can email me at atriana, T-R-I-A-N-A, at springfieldcollege.edu, or follow me on Facebook or Instagram. I don't have a Twitter. But um, that's really it. I don't post too much, but feel free to reach out and talk because I'm always willing to talk shop. Absolutely. That's, uh, I mean, and that's something that my guests get all get excited about, and we talk shop, and they, they forget to self-promote, and and uh, it's important not just from a commercial aspect, from a from a let's share this knowledge and get it out there and make better athletes. That's that's really what this show is ultimately about. I mean, it, it's definitely to showcase me and my guests and a lot of things, but at the end of the day, what I want is I want to see the 2020 strongman. I want to see the the, the 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 you know the ninety kilogram strongman you know moving the Zadrunas Zavikas loads. I want to see that because I really believe it's possible, and it's possible through methodologies like you just outlined. That's the that's the thing I really want to hammer home. And um, something I do want to ask you. I typically keep these talks to very uh, technical, but now you've you've laid out this fifty two week program and you've mentioned that it's specifically designed to you what's your goal with all this where where are you headed and let's see if we can track how you do and how it how it unfolds well uh, I wanna be at 
the like I, like you actually just mentioned it, uh, world's strongest man under 90 kilos this year, and uh, this is basically the entire outline I'm going to be using to get there. So I need to find my qualification show that fits perfectly, which I have two in mind, and then uh, that's it. Hopefully you guys see me there and re-listen to the podcast and have a new appreciation for it. Yeah, that's something that I really would love to do is kind of kind of do a, tr- a tracking of your progress and kind of reflect on this, you know, reflect back to this podcast and, and reflect to where you're actually at in, in, in spatial relation and uh, just kind of show the public how you really can program that far in advance and not just can, but should, but you really should. You, you know, you, you don't go into any endeavor without an outline and without a goal and a, and a, and a strategy. And that's literally what periodization is, and that's what you've laid out. So, um, wow. We we could talk forever, but I think that's a solid place to stop. Is there anything you want to say before we let you go? And even before that, let me say, um, this is your second visit here. Um, your first was amazing. Uh, I still literally, in my spare time, just turn it on and listen because it, it's huge and it's deep and it's fun. Uh, this, the subject of energy systems never bores me. Uh, and your grasp of it will never bore me. So I, I want to just extend the invitation. At any time you have something that you want to bring to our attention, you have an open invitation, my friend. You, uh, you know, you've helped make this podcast uh, what it is, and you just have a carte blanche. Anytime you want to tell me something, pick up the phone, and 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 it's on. So from there, is there anything you'd like to say before we go? I truly, truly do appreciate that, B. I really do. Um, the only thing I wanted to say to everyone, I think I probably said the last, my, the last of, the end of my last podcast, but, uh, nothing changes. Be objective. Uh, I, it took me four years to even begin to fathom or attempt to part, like, participate in this program. Don't fool yourself and think that you're ready for it if you're not. So be objective in where you are in the training cycle and where you are in life or your goals and respect to your goals and uh, really go from there. I, that's pretty solid advice. Um, you know, paired with, paired with a year-long concept of programming, I would think that would get you where you need to be. So, Andrew, thank you for being here. Uh, I will put all your contact information in the bottom of this video and the uh, audio podcast. And as I said, you're welcome back anytime. Folks, until next time, Speed Chavez, Andrew Triana, we'll see you next month.